Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We've learned that as we go through the book of Philippians, that letter that he wrote to them, it is just loaded. It's kind of like sparkling with the idea of joy. And I believe it's because it was deep within his heart that he had joy. And the Bible says that when you have Christ and the fullness of Christ in you, that that joy can be there. It's also interesting to note that when he was writing this about the joy he had, and he was also wanting the people at Philippi to have joy, he himself was not physically in a joyful place. He happened to be in a place that we would call a prison. Now, it wasn't kind of like our country club prisons of today. It was a very horrible place to be. And he was really in there when he didn't do anything wrong. But you see, here's how he got there. He loved the Lord and he wanted everybody else to know about the Lord. And as he was presenting the gospel, there was a group of people that didn't like him. And so he wound up in jail because of that. Even though that the circumstances around him were not joyful, he didn't allow the circumstances to be joy robbers or kill joys in his life. But actually, he knew that his joy came from Christ wherever he would be. In that state, he's reflecting upon the Philippians and how much they extended their aloha to him and how much they had given to him when he had special needs. He writes a thank you letter back to them. And in it, he begins this letter because in it, we're going to learn how to have joy ourselves and kind of open up that little package of joy in that letter. Where does joy begin? It begins by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. And we know those who do that are those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. And so he said, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm not a bond servant. I'm not, I'm not a slave of Rome. I want to be a slave of the Lord. And why wouldn't he want to be? The Lord gave his life for him, forgive him of all sins and gave him a home in heaven and promised to take care of him. And so he said, listen, if I'm going to be a slave to anybody, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's who he says he is. Now he is talking about who he's writing to. And you need to know this too, that if joy begins at submitting yourself to Christ, I hope you have, but it's also getting to know the people that are around us. And so he now tells us about those people. So here's the letter. He begins by saying, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. To all the saints. In other words, he says, when I write to you, I'm not leaving anyone out. He wants everybody to hear this. So as I read that, I'd like to take that back to us here at International. That means these messages will be for every one of you. Our youth here that come so faithfully and for you, no matter what your age would be, the truths would be for you. Now, the word saint can throw some folks off because they think that that's a group of people that finally arrived at some spiritual level where they were made to be saints by a, a particular religious order that placed that upon them. But we know those that have studied scripture that that's not the case at all. In fact, a saint is anyone who has trusted Christ as Savior. And I'm making that simple. So if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're one of those saints that he's talking about. It says to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you might want to listen to this because this is going to separate Christianity from all the other religions that are in the world today. Christianity and those religions perhaps start out the same way. Here's what we do. We believe the writings of what that person has written. So the Buddhists, they'll believe in the writings of Buddha, we might say. The Mormons will believe in the writings of Joseph Smith. Christians will believe in the writings of Christ and his followers. Now that's what you'll hear in religion classes in the universities, and partly that's true. But it's not all that it's true. Here's where it begins to separate it and all the other religions fall aside. Now they might have some good platitudes, but they have nothing to connect to the true God nor truth. Now here's the difference. While we will believe the writings of Paul, the difference is we believe in Christ. 
All right? He is our Savior. We believe the writings about Paul when he writes about Christ, but we believe in Christ. So when it says saints are in Christ, here's how that happens. We now hear the writings. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the writing. Now when we believe in it, we believe that it's truth. Now since it's truth, it says if we now believe in Christ, we have everlasting life. So we go beyond the words to the person of Christ. So we go beyond rituals or religion and we move into a relationship. We place our faith in Christ. That's why it says to the saints who are in Christ, not the saints who believe the writings about Christ, but it's the saints who are in Christ. Let me take you to make it a little bit more simple. We know that a Christian scientist from the Christian science belief, they're not in Mary Baker Eddy. You'll notice that a Buddhist is not in Buddha. They may believe in the writings, but they're not in him. So what separates Christians from the rest of the world is that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only true God, that he supersedes all other gods. We believe his writings, therefore we believe in him. We have that relationship. And the final thing is, we not only just believe in him, once we believe in him, we become in him. And that's what he's writing to. So if you've trusted Christ, you are in Christ, never to be cast out. You're in his forever family. Moving to the next phrase, it says here, with the bishops and deacons. First of all, you're going to see that he's writing to three groups of people. We talked about the saints, that's all believers. Now he identifies two more groups of people. One group would be known as the bishops, and the other would be the deacons. So the first thing you can take from that is, that must mean that bishops and deacons are two separate groups of people. They're not the same, they're two separate groups. So if there are two separate groups, now we have to discover what does it mean by the word bishop. So today and next Sunday, I'm going to separate the two offices. One office is known as the bishop, and the next office will be known as the deacon. So the deacon issue will be discussed ne next week. This week, we're going to talk about bishops. Now, some of you might be asking, well, why would you spend so much time in the concept of the word bishop here when there's so much other things in Scripture? Well, first of all, because of the great confusion that there is. I think some of you have lived long enough to know that there are religious systems on planet Earth that set up various um, hierarchy. All right, and they'll start out with, and I'll just pick one illustration. You'll have maybe the Pope, and then you'll have a cardinal. You might have a bishop. You might have a priest. Sometimes they're even referred to as a pastor. But as we look at that hierarchy, we see one is above the other. Some of you are coming in with this. This is what Scripture has to say. And perhaps a little different than other religions that you'll be a part of, I want you to follow along and read the same truths that I do. So today, I want you to understand about this concept, not so much about the Pope and, and cardinals and all of that, but I do want you to understand the concept of a bishop. Now, here's another reason, because you might have come in with all this other information. I want to now, maybe if I could say it this way, I want to adjust that teaching to what the Bible has to say so we can be on the same page. Here's another reason. There's going to be some of you, particularly our military people and some business people, that God is going to remove you from our church and you're going to be stationed in other places and you're going to be looking for another church. And when you do, there's going to be a category of what you're looking for a church. What we hear often when people leave our church here is, oh, I'm going to miss you so much. And then they go to some other place and they say, oh, it's so hard to find the, the, the love and the fellowship and the chemistry of other churches. And so you struggle with that. Well, I don't mean to add more struggle to you, but I would like to suggest this to you, that when you're looking for another church, should you pass from this church, that while it is important to have life and vitality and love in the church, it's also important that the church is founded upon God's word and it lives up to God's 
God's word and that there's a foundational teaching. And so when you go out, you want to understand how is a church that's set up. Now, another reason why I need to talk about this with elders is that there is what we say in life, there is going to be a chain of command, if I may use that phrase for a moment. There is going to be that. When you go to a job, how many of you have a boss, a supervisor, manager? How many have a boss? Okay. How many of you are in military and you have some person above you that gives you orders? How about in life when a policeman stops you on the street? You don't have to listen to him. He's just a man wearing a particular uniform. Or do you stop him because he represents an authority figure? We have that, and I could bring that into home. While we have two people, a husband and wife, and they have great input, still someone has to break the tie and perhaps be the last word, and that would be the head of household. Now, that being said... In order for us not to have chaos in the military and not to have chaos in the job or anarchy in our community, we have to have a chain of command. In a church setting, God says that when you have anarchy and when you have confusion, you're not going to have joy. There's not going to be that liberty. There's not going to be that peace. So even in a church setting, there is going to be some bit of a chain of command. But when he does this, he just doesn't pick out someone who's the most popular or has the most dominant personality or even the one who might know everything or goes to a particular educational level. But he does set up a structure of what these people should look like, what their descriptions would be, what their characteristics would be. It talks about even how you would evaluate them and select them. Now, I'm saying that for this ultimate simple reason. When we lead a church with biblical principles of leadership, like the proper personnel in place, it will bring peace in the church and it will bring joy. And so where we begin with this is we start with, in this passage of scripture, with those who would be often known as elders. So that being the case, I would like to give to you five terms that are used in the Bible that are used interchangeably. You could write in your margin. I want to give you five terms. Some of them are nouns, some of them are adjectives. So I want you to know that they're kind of describing the same office. That's the important thing. The important truth is now we're not talking about five different groups of people in the church now under elders. We're talking about all the same, but they're identified five different ways. And it isn't because the Holy Spirit or the writers were confused and they just liked a different word. Each word takes on a a unique meaning and it's more descriptive. So let's look at the ministry of the elders. That's going to be my my moniker for the rest of this message. But I want you to know that although I use the word elders, there's different words for elders. So I'm just using that to stay on one. It could be pastors. It could be bishops. It could be others. But here they are. So number one would be what is known as the descriptive titles. This way, when you hear this term, you'll see that they're often used together. The first one comes from a Greek word, which is poimen, and it has various variations in the Greek, but predominantly it's the word poimen. And it means pastor or shepherd. When it's translated, it's translated pastor or shepherd. Now, for just our sake of discussion here and for visualization, you refer to our dear friend and longtime shepherd here, Dennis Mendoza. Now, you refer to him as Pastor Dennis. And those of you that know me, you refer to me as Pastor Stan. And perhaps on some way, I might be looked at as the senior pastor. Both of us are pastors. In this case, we'd be your poemen. Next to the word pastor or shepherd would be the word mentor or minister. If I could simplify it even more, I would say that a pastor's role is to be your mentor. Now, the common word biblically would be the word disciple, and I don't want to try to split hairs with words right now, but the idea is to mentor you, to come alongside you, to equip you so you could be all that you could be. But also the word minister. We are to serve you. Now, there is a limit. There's a question. How do we serve you? 
Now, to also give you a visualization, we are to be the feeders and the leaders. I don't want to overdo this, but I, I want to help you, to feed you. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean physical food, although there'll be times that you're going to have some of the best garlic chicken you'll ever eat when you eat Pastor Dennis's garlic chicken. And I hope more than anything, though, that the things that you find the most tasty will be the spiritual food that's given to you. But we're also leaders. The next Greek word is the word presbyteros. And that really is the word elder. And so when you see that translated, often it will be the word elder. Now, elder sometimes could refer to an older person because an elder is someone who has experience. In fact, I use the term spiritual maturity. So they're mature in their, their social skills. They're mature as they understand life, but they're most mature in their spiritual dynamic. And I put next to that the word model because sometimes with spiritual maturity, we could talk about the feeding and the leading part of their maturity, but that's going to come through the title of pastor. But maybe right now under elder, they're going to be the ones, the, the wise ones, and they're going to model before you how the Christian life should be. Now, let me tell you that these modelers, these elders, they're on a journey with you, and they're going to continually become more mature next year than they were this year. And hopefully they're more mature this year than they were last year. But they're models, they're elders. Generally, they're a little bit more mature. They have a little bit more experience. They're walking consistently. Presbyteros. Some of you might come from a Presbyterian. You'll hear the term Presbyterian. That's coming from Presbyteros. That's why in those churches, they really talk about elders and the elders of the session and that type of thing. And they're really parking on that concept. Not wrong, but that's where it comes from. The third word is the word episkopos. And when that's translated, it's translated the word overseer or bishop. Now, today is more of a teaching day to you, and you might say, I thought I came for life application. It's best for you to understand who are the ones that are providing you the information so you can apply it to your life through God's word. So we are giving you the beginning. So overseer or bishop. So in scripture, sometimes you're going to hear the word bishop. And it comes from the word episkopos. Sometimes it's referred to as the Anglican church here and in England as well. And it's kind of like one step down from the Roman Catholic church. And so they come from the word overseer. And they like to use the word bishop a lot. Now, what you need to understand is that a shepherd and then an elder and a bishop, I wanted you to know in scripture that those words in the context are used interchangeably so that you'll see them as one package, five terms. Now, for those of you that would like to have it said to you in a little simple way, how can I see the difference between what we might call a shepherd and then an elder and then a bishop or an overseer? You might want to jot this down next to the phrase pastor shepherd. They would be the ones that would essentially set the pace. They're going to set the pace. They're going to sense where you are and how fast you're moving and where the good food is and guide you in your spiritual maturity. Make sure you don't go too fast, but don't make sure that you become a maintenance group of people. So they're going to kind of set the pace. They're shepherding you, feeding you and leading you. The elder is going to set the example that you could look to them. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but if you're looking, how do you respond and what do you do? And they're looking for a model. You see the word tupos often in the Greek. So the word model or example. And then the overseer, the bishop, they're going to set direction. And of course, they're all together. They want to make sure the direction is set around God's word. And when they do that, they want to set it by example first, not just forcing people to go in a direction they're not in. Now with that, so I'm going to give you a passage of scripture that shows you the interchanging of those terms. We're looking together now at Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and then verse 28, a wonderful passage of Acts chapter 20. You might want to jot some notes down as I go through it. So Paul now, he's calling the elders to meet him at a location. And these elders are coming from a different city, not Philippi, but Ephesus. And he calls for the elders of the church. Circle the word elders, and that's the word presbyteros there again. So these would be the spiritual models of the church at Ephesus. And it says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, 
to those same elders. Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You can circle that. It'd be the word episkopos. So you have the word first, elders, presbyteros. So they would be the modelers. Now you have the overseers. They would be the manager. And then, then he tells them what to do to shepherd the church of God, which would be, again, the word pastor. So in that case, it would be set the pace, feed them. So you see all three of them are coming together, talking about the same office. Some gives you a title, some gives you a description of it. Some people take a description, they make a title out of it. Only point I'm trying to make is that it's talking about the same individual. Those are the descriptive titles. And then finally, that they have good leadership skills. They know how to manage, they're organized. There are also people that can sense the direction, and they also have, um, again, back to management or leadership skills there. All right, let's go to number two now, because now we have the titles that describe them, but in Scripture there are some qualifications, and we're more beyond than just having leadership skills now, and that they know how to sense direction. They have to be deep men of deep character, and so we're looking at their character qualities, and I'd like you to follow along in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, for just a moment, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Here's what I'd like to say. Both of those passages will very easily uh, give identical character traits for those who would be bishops or elders or pastors of a church. I will tell you that Titus adds one or two that are a little bit different than 1 Timothy chapter 3, but it will not contradict the two. It's just expanding on it. Those of you who want to have a little bit more, I encourage you to get the book called The Measure of a Man, where they take both of those lists together and they really open up the character traits. This is probably the most used passage of Scripture to describe those who would be pastors and their particular spiritual qualification. And here's what it says. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must, when a church is now looking for someone to appoint as an elder or a pastor... One of the things that they're going to be looking at is how this man's character matches up to this passage of the scripture. Some of you are going to be thinking this. Okay, that's a great list of character traits for an elder. That leaves me out of it. So some of you are zoning. You're saying, you know, I'll just let the leaders of the church take care of leading the church. I'm just going to go on with life. I've got to figure out where we're going to eat this afternoon. Do we go to the beach? Do we not? You're zoning out. What you have to understand is this. This character list that I'm giving to you, are character traits that every blood-bought, born-again believer should have, male and female should have in their life. We could easily find passages of Scripture that will directly speak to each one of these traits that we all should have. It's just simple godliness in our life. The point that it's making is not that this is a higher standard. No, the point that it's making is this, that when you select a person, they have to have this in their life. So the bottom line is we all should be doing this so there's a huge pool of qualified people from which we then can begin to select people to be elders in the church. So we all aspire to it. So young men that are here, what I'm about to give to you, I want you to aspire this for your own life. If you had locked this into your life, you will be a person of tremendous influence and you'll be light years ahead of other men that are trying to play catch up in it now. You single girls that are here today, while I would encourage you to look at most of these, some of these points you're not going to be, but most of them you will be. Here's what you are looking for. When you select someone who is going to be your forever life partner, I would be looking, does this person, are they on a journey to become those particular character traits? Are they manifesting those traits? So if you're saying, who do I look for? Yeah, I would hope they'd be good looking because you've got to stare at that bloke for the next 50 years. But it's not just that. 
There's got to be some character traits that he has in his life because it's through those character traits, watch this, he will shepherd you and love you. Now that I said all of that, let me speak to you as a pastor. If this church is going to be healthy and, it, and God is here, I have to believe that he will be bringing people in and that he's wanting to step up to these areas so we can continue to grow. If not, we will not be as healthy and it's quite possible that we will be off balance and never reach our full potential. So as you hear what we're saying today, one of the questions, if I was seated out in the congregation, I'd be asking myself, am I sensing that God might be calling me to a a level of leadership in church? And uh, if he is, am I sensing that he is grooming me to be a shepherd, a feeder, a leader? And so for me to feed and lead, I'm feeding myself. And he's also giving me a a sense of wanting to live a consistent Christian life so I could be an elder, a model of it. And has he given me some ability to help people make decisions when they have a struggle? And am I willing to help listen to the facts and come up with a sense of where God is directing this? That's part of it. The other part is, is he building within me the character of Christ? And so begin to lean into this. The worst thing that could happen to you is for you to sit, soak, and sour. It'd be bad for you. And it's doubly bad then for the church because then we have a lot of what we might call dead weight. Good people, but dead weight. God wants us on this journey to keep moving forward. So I'm asking you to be leaning into this because over the years to come, we can move in that direction. So here's some of your questions because you've been around a long time. All right, Pastor, what are you doing to help groom our men so they could eventually qualify? Well, there's a couple of things, maybe three things that I'm doing. Number one, I am praying that while we are developing here slowly, but we're developing, God would bring in from the outside people that are already qualified and called to be able to help us so we can jumpstart it more quickly, but not to rely on outside people. Secondly, here we've begun our first men's ministry. There are eight guys meeting on a regular basis to decide now how do we develop men overall. Out of that is a men's ministry to help them to study the Bible. There's eight guys now meeting faithfully. They're learning, and the testimonies of these guys are great. Some of them are memorizing verses for the very first time we gave out cards. Now, you might say, boy, is that elementary. Well, I I know there are churches that are much further than we are, but we are where we are, and I love where we are because our people are humble, and God will bless that. Once we go through this study of understanding the Bible and who they are in Christ, the next study is going to be on the measure of a man. We are going to take them through these character traits very carefully. Why is that? First, the men have to buy into the study. Then they have to buy in, I want to be all that God wants me to be, and now they're going to learn what are some of those principles as we move forward. So what are we doing? We're praying to come others to come from without to within, and we're trying to develop what we have here. So what am I asking you to do? Seek where you are with God, pray for this whole thing, and just be patient. We're not going to rush growth because we can't do it. Let's talk about these character traits. You probably think I'm going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm really not. We can at another time when I teach First Timothy, and then I'll unpack that. But for right now, let me just give you a quick explanation. All right, it says here, if a man desires the position of a bishop... The only thing I'd like to comment about that phrase is that he could have used the word elder there. He could have used the word shepherd. It's quite possible that he wanted us to understand that when we're going through the character traits, that this is a person who's the bishop. Same person, but he's using the idea of a manager here. So he says, if you're going to manage, you have to manage with character. So leadership also comes with great character. So he's talking about a bishop, but he's also talking about a pastor. He's also talking about an elder. But he chose the word bishop for a reason. That would be the overseer. And he says that whoever desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. 
Now, I don't want you to circle so much the word position as you need to circle the word good work because it's not so much the perks that God wants us to have. He wants us to have the work. It's not that we want the perk, but we want to do the work. And the work we're going to discover in a few moments what that is. So if you want it, you're saying, yes, I, I want to be a bishop. I want to be an elder. I want to be a pastor. But I also want to do the work of it. That's What do I do? How do I roll up my sleeves and get dirty? What do I need to do? Well, before we do the work, we have to find out, is the person qualified? Because the work is going to be very strenuous, and it's going to take a high-character person to do this. So he begins by saying then, a bishop then must be. Underline the phrase must be, because I want you to know it's not an option. It's not like here today, not tomorrow. He must be these things. It's a continual process. Now, he may be improving, getting better on the road of growth, but he must be. Now you see the word blameless. Now the word blameless, many scholars say this, and right now this is where I'm at on it. I believe the word blameless is referring to the umbrella. He just needs to be blameless. But how do you identify a blameless person? All right, you're going to see it in the rest of the description that he puts underneath that's so blameless. So some of you are saying blameless. Does that mean that I've never sinned before? I have no blame? No, the difference is this. If we brought you in front of a tribunal and they were saying you are guilty and you said, no, I'm not, and then they looked out. Has anybody else seen anything that's wrong with this person? Nobody could point their finger at you. If they could, they would say, you've done this. And then others could say, yes, he did that. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.